0: Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa fight
1: Johnson. And today we are so excited to have a guest on who has been there for us in many times in our lives. She's been my friend since sixth grade when we were both flutes together in band and all the way up to photographing the covers of my books and taking my wedding photos. She's just been there for all sorts of things. I should say her name. It's Meryl Carver-Almond. Welcome, Meryl. Yay. Hi, guys. <laughs> oh, Meryl, so good to have you here. Um, so where are you joining us from today? I mean, we know, but our guests do not know.
2: I am sitting back in my bedroom, which is also doubled as my home office during the pandemic. My kids are in the living room with their iPads, hopefully entertained on that for a while. And uh, my poor sweet husband (laughs) has gotten roped into like sort of a Pinterest emergency project, which sounds crazy, but uh, (laughs) he's... good guy. So he's out yes. in the garage with a chop saw sawing a PVC pipe for this wreath that I'm making. It's a it's a long <laughs> wow. story.
1: Wow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you're so crafty. I admire that and uh I I envy it. I don't know how to be crafty at all. Well, you've kind of started to talk about your family. Something else we always ask our guests is their about their team, you know, cuz uh, on parenthood they talk about team braver men. So you know, Team Carver and Team Carver Almond, you know, your family growing up, your family now?
2: Well, my family now is pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty easy right now. Um, You know, me, my husband, Blaine, that I also met not quite as long ago as I met Melissa, but close, actually. Um, We (laughs) met in high school, and then our two kids, uh, Knox and Betty Knox, is 10, and Betty turns seven next week. Yeah. That's crazy town. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as growing up, I am it's that part is a little more complicated. I am an only child, but I also have three sisters and a brother. So (laughs) my, uh, I'm the only child of my two biological parents. I grew up, my mom and my stepdad had a son when I was fairly young and then a daughter when I was 17. So I have a, a brother and sister there. And then my dad has remarried and he married a very nice lady who had two daughters of her own already. So it's kind of a complicated family tree, but my stepsisters and I, I mean, we're friendly. We like each other a lot. We didn't really ever grow up in the same house. So that's a little bit of a, you know, not as much of a relationship as I have with my brother and sister that we, you know, we grew up together more. And then my sister, even it's even kind of weirder because I'm really kind of more like her like favorite aunt or something just because of the age gap. Like I moved to Lawrence the year she started kindergarten. So we really haven't lived together a ton either, but I've loved it because she is 22 now. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun since she's been, you know, getting older, and we text back and forth about stuff. And so I've I've enjoyed having that relationship with her as she's become an adult. That's been super fun. And my brother actually just had a baby. Oh wow!
1: And Meryl, I actually mentioned you on this podcast once. I'm now realizing because the age difference between you and your sister Mm -hmm. mirrors one. I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, the daughter, Hattie, who was away at college Mm -hmm. uh, in this episode, and then she comes home and she like holds that little baby. That's her little sister. And I think it's 17 years. And so I had, you know, we were talking like, does that happen very often? And I'm like, I can think of someone. Yeah. (laughs) And it's super
2: weird because I would take her places and I would get a little bit embarrassed and, you know, when you're 17, it's easy to be embarrassed, but like everybody assumed she was my daughter. Right. I just had this, you know, Yeah, that was always, uh, it was always, I would go around, like I would take her to like Walmart with me or whatever. And I'd be like, sister come here like you know like really like (laughs) emphasizing it so I didn't get dirty looks from little ladies who were judgy (laughs) that's funny
1: all right so final question uh so you don't feel too interrogated but what is your history and I'm realizing I don't think I know this this answer um had you ever seen parenthood before we asked you to come on no
2: no and I have (laughs) so I've watched this one episode I watched I did watch it twice Okay. Awesome. Um, Thank you. That's that's all I've watched. So that's a lot of our guests.
1: We tend to just ask people who we think would be really good conversationalists and who we like, you know, and and we, you know, sometimes look for parallels. So that will reveal itself as we as we talk. But yeah, a lot of our guests just sort of get dropped into this world for one episode. And I think that's such a valuable, interesting insight, you know? Um, so Anyway, yeah, no, not a prerequisite to be like a super fan, but thank you again for coming on. Yeah, of course.
0: Well, we are so happy to have you here with us, Meryl. Today we're discussing Parenthood Season 4, Episode 5, There's Something I Need to Tell You. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Patrick Norris. It originally aired on October 9th, 2012, and here is the DVD synopsis. Christina shares heavy emotional news with the family. Mounting anxiety forces Julia to prioritize her life and make a huge decision. Meanwhile, Sarah experiences an awkward moment at work. Now, as we've said before in the past, every episode gets a rating from viewers on IMDb. And with a rating of 9.2 out of 10, this is not only the highest rated episode of season four, it is tied for second place as of this recording as highest rated episode ever.
1: Whoa. Not even so far, just of the whole series. Just of the whole series. Wow. Wow. No pressure. Well, Meryl, only the best for you. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. So this podcast will have to be the second best, or at least tied. Yeah, no pressure. Um...
3: (laughs)
0: Well, I know one of the reasons, one of the big reasons we wanted to have Meryl on for this episode is because Meryl is a lawyer.
3: Yes, I am a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's Tracy Morgan doing Star Jones, am I right? Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's great.
0: So to start off, let's discuss this screw-up that Julia has.
3: I screwed up. What are you talking about? I'm... I'm I missed a deadline on turning in answers to a request for admissions.
4: Okay.
3: I basically forfeit this case. It's a big deal. Okay, well,
4: I know they love you there, so I'm sure that That
3: doesn't... Babe, we could lose this client. There's so much money on the line. We could get sued for malpractice. And I could lose my job. So,
0: Meryl, for us laymen, (laughs) what is Julia talking about? How big of a deal is it? And also maybe just tell us a little bit about your career as a lawyer. What kind of law you practice?
2: Sure. Um, So I don't practice law anything like Julia does. I, so I'm... (laughs) actually kind of more complicated lately. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I started out basically as a public defender doing appeals, and then I moved into doing death penalty appeals, which I did for about 10 years. And then just in the last three weeks, actually, I have transitioned into a position where I'm the training director of all of the public defenders and the people in the public defender system, basically in Kansas. So completely different uh, from, from Julia's civil practice here, but um, you know, the, the idea that there are deadlines that you just can't blow that really resonates because we have, you know, a couple of things in criminal procedure that are the same way where if you don't file it on time, you don't file it. And you know, while again, I'm not dealing with money, um, you know, people's lives. <laughs>
0: <Wow>. um, <laughs> I feel like that's even bigger, bigger yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah,
2: yeah. So I mean, so yeah, and that's that's the thing about practicing law. It's it's in a different way than like like a doctor or something like that. But um, if you mess up, you can really screw up people's lives. Oh. So yeah, so I get that. I get that part of it. <laughs> I kind
1: of think you might be like the total opposite of Julia too, because sometimes we just get little snapshots, little glimmers into her career. We don't get too far into it. I feel like this is the most legal jargon I think we've ever heard. Mm -hmm. But I do know that there have been like little moments where she said that like, her job was to like crush little companies and that she actually loves crushing little companies. I'm like, that feels like the opposite of Merrill, like yeah. public defender, like, like helping people more than, you know, helping corporations. Yeah. 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 I would say more noble <laughs> for sure. That is, yeah. that
2: is exactly what I didn't want to do when I graduated from <laughs> <Yeah>. law school. <laughs> that uh, check yeah, out. Yeah. It's a different world from what I do too, because So much in the legal profession, your value as a lawyer is seen by how much money you make. I mean, lawyers are super, super money driven. And in the public defense world, you know, we're absolutely not, or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But it can be a very, it's something that we're always struggling with in like recruiting new public defenders is it's like, well, you know, if you were any good, you would go to a job where you make money. And it's like, well, like (laughs) most of us are pretty good. We just don't, you know, it's, it's just different priorities. And so it's a really interesting conversation that's going on right now, just in the legal profession. No, I,
1: I get that. You know, um, I think I'm a really good teacher, but yeah, paycheck doesn't necessarily reflect (laughs) your worth. worth, (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Well, as you mentioned, with the stakes being literally life and death in some cases and deadlines that are immovable, to ask a very broad question, how does that overlap with having a family? And there are times, you know, you're needed at home and then times I'm sure that you cannot miss a deadline. What's that juggle like for you?
2: It's different now. With my new job, it's going to be different. And that Is a little bit of the reason I have transitioned, not, Mm -hmm. not even most of it, but my prior life three weeks ago, um, (laughs) it was very, you know, about eight or nine months of the year, my schedule was actually pretty flexible and there was a lot of work, but you know, you can move things around to, to make it to things the other two or three months of the year. I mean, there were times where, you know, for a week or two on end, my husband, Blaine is just kind of a single parent. And that's kind of how we, have we've worked it out. Like when I can be flexible at all, I am. And I try to try to cover for him in those times, but on the times where, you know, we're, we're getting ready for a big argument or something like that. I just, you know, had to be there for the clients. And it was an interesting balance. And one that was kind of making me tired, honestly. Yeah. Although like that wasn't the main reason that I transitioned. Part of it was just, you know, doing capital cases for a long time is really heavy. Um, And it's not even the work-life balance. It's the, like, I kind of thought of it as like going through, you know, I have four people, you know, our family. I mean, I guess three people, three people and myself. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You got to take care of you too. Yes, yes.
2: But um, that I have to basically get up and keep alive every day. And when I had capital clients, that number in my head was very much, you know, I had five at one point and three more recently. It was like, there are seven people I have to, you know, I have to keep alive today. Wow. You know, those clients are not, I wouldn't say they're part of my family because I think that's presumptuous of me to assume, but, um, they're definitely characters in our family story and they're definitely people that matter in our family.
3: Wow.
1: I get that about it being heavy. I mean, I don't get it fully because I, I've never done that, that kind of work, but it is hard when part of your job is like literally caring, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) just caring that, you know, especially this year after the pandemic, you know, just a lot of trauma has followed them here. And, and, you know, honestly, like we're on break right now. And that's one of the reasons I'm happiest is I, like, I love my job and I love them, but whoo, you just need you need time to be a person. And I wonder what, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's it like when you don't get that chance, which, yeah, is what this episode really kind of felt like to me. Yeah. Like there's no opportunity for that. Sometimes you don't feel like there's a break in sight.
2: And I, I feel like this is one thing that I've gotten better at as my kids have gotten older. When my kids were little, I felt really horrible when I had to pick my clients there. There was like, it was like a string of four years where the kids always had this because they were in preschool, right? So they would go to the pumpkin patch at Halloween and parents were always invited. And I didn't get to go because I just couldn't, like the deadlines fell. We had one, one of the years we had a case actually at the United States Supreme Court on the day they were at the pumpkin patch. Like, you know. Wow. <laughs> um,
0: Sorry, kids. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but, you know, I kind of, as I've gotten a little older and a little more comfortable and my kids have gotten older too, like I realized like they don't remember that they don't know yeah. that I wasn't there for that. So it's a weird balance. Cause like my kids will always be first, but also like that to me, doesn't mean putting them first every single moment of every single day. I think yeah. there's a lot of like almost white middle-class privilege in even being able to do that. Right. Like, right. My kiddos are, they're, they're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I definitely feel a lot less guilty as I've gotten older and more comfortable as a parent saying, Nope, actually, I do need to pick my job today. Sorry, guys, we're having cereal for dinner, or your dad's going to pick you up and go to the thing. <laughs> and that's the other thing is like, I married real well. Um, <laughs> let's just say that. And so did he. You yes, know, you both did. <laughs> yes, yes. He married super well. What are you talking about? Now? <laughs> um, but, um, the women I see struggling as lawyers a lot of times don't have help at home. And, you know, my husband has always been super equal partner and and not expected like a whole lot of accolades for being a super equal partner. Like we just do it. And I think that that helps a lot in balancing yeah. things because when I wasn't at the pumpkin patch, he was there. So, yeah. you know, the kids knew that somebody that they loved was there and that was great for them. I feel
1: like if Joel had a job, be like Blaine, you know, <laughs> like because Joel on the show, Julia's husband is the stay at home dad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a lot of the same dynamics you'd usually see on a traditional show, except gender flipped, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. When I'm but... thinking
0: now hearing this, what their situation would be like if they hadn't adopted a child.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it were yeah. just
0: a continuation of the dynamic that they already knew. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure her focus would be more on her clients and that balance would be easier to juggle. But when there's a major upheaval like that, Mm -hmm. even if it's going well, which at the moment it seems like things are going okay with Victor. Yeah. But it would split your attention. I would think. Yeah. Meryl, my next legal question just (laughs) while we have you here, because
3: yes, I am a lawyer.
0: (laughs) So when Julia goes to opposing counsel and just, Begs her, I mean, like human to human, to extend the deadline. What are the ethics of asking her to do that, and what are the ethics of the other lawyer even considering that? Because isn't there like a an obligation to zealously represent the interests of your client? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like Laura kind of says, like, if I don't seize this huge screw up on your part and open up my client to something that is not in their interest, then she's just not doing her job. It's not like she's being heartless. Anyway, what what say you about that? Yeah.
2: And I mean, I think in in particularly in civil practice, absolutely. You're there to represent your client and, you know, it's you want to help people when you can, but I I really don't fault that particular decision for not because you can't you can't not take advantage of something that will help your client. Criminal practice, I feel like is a little bit different because, you know, in criminal practice, defense attorneys represent the defendant, the client, and prosecutors are supposed to be sort of representing justice. um, What is a good result here? So I feel like the interest there might be a little bit different in like a criminal case than a civil case, but absolutely, as you say, I mean, I think that that other lawyer would not have been doing her job very well if she would have been like, "Eh, you know, it's, it's a mulligan. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, you know, that's, and that's, and that is the real world high stakes of practicing law is sometimes you screw stuff up and you can't fix it. Ugh. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's so hard. As I feel like the whole last year with the
1: pandemic and everything, mm-hmm. I guess longer than that, even the big phrase at our school was give people grace. Mm-hmm. And they meant students, they meant teachers, they meant everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and so like, it's just such a different thing because more and more I've started looking at due dates, deadlines as arbitrary. And it's important for me to realize, oh, there are some universes where it's not. <laughs> you yeah. know, where you can't be like, Yeah, sure, take an extension, take the weekend, take a week. You know, mm-hmm. you, nope, it's just too late. And I just can't even imagine myself in a job where that was sort of the mindset. And I understand why a job like that exists I just think I would be a terrible fit <laughs> you know and it yeah it totally makes sense and and it's interesting because Julia was a great fit and then made your life change not so much a, a fit and do you ever see that happening in your world like like somebody's really... Just rocking it at their job, and then life throws them a curveball like they have a baby, or a parent dies, or some major life change. And then it's just they because the way that those, um, her like superiors were talking to her, like you know, two years ago, this wouldn't have happened, a year ago, this wouldn't have happened, and it felt really intense and kind of you know, hardcore is that fair what they were saying to her? Like that she needed to, I don't know. Was there a question in there? If so, can can you tell what it was? <laughs> but do you know what I'm like? <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I threw a lot of thoughts at you, but what what are your, what's your response to everything I just said?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I think I've certainly seen people go through things that have made them decide, you know, no, this, a career changes in order here. Um, and in the public defense world, what we see a lot is, you know, it's a whole lot of work for not a lot of money and a lot of people, you know, they can afford to do it like right out of law school, but then they get married and they have a couple kids and all of a sudden you're trying to pay for a mortgage and daycare and all of those things. And you just, you cannot afford to do the job anymore. Like you have to get, you know, a higher paying job. And particularly now the really sad part about this and and the part that I that kind of felt a little unrealistic about the show and also like maybe you know dated I mean because a lot of lawyers can't walk away because Mm. the student loan debt right now is you know what people are coming out of law school with is so high that you don't have those freedom of choices you just have to keep working and so that's kind of you know, on top of all of the other things in your, your kind of question, I think. Um, (laughs) And, and also there's a little bit of, in recent years in practicing law, people are talking about wellness and like, is this really healthy that we're demanding this of people? Yeah. So I like to think those kinds of conversations, like what Julia had in the show, aren't happening as much anymore. Although at some point you still have to be able to do the job. And if you can't, then you need to retool and think about something else maybe. Now I I don't think it's I don't know, that's a really like male civil law firm kind of attitude to have. <laughs> and I think some of those firms still have that kind of, you know, that kind of view on the world, but I feel like that is changing a little bit at least in law practice um or at least there are people trying to change it, but it's, you know, it's a really especially in that world it's a really conservative culture and so it's super slow to change too yeah that makes sense
0: there's one other thing I want to call attention to in that scene with Laura (laughs) when Julia tries to get the deadline extended and that is
2: Friday Friday night night lights lights
5: alert
2: alert. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what just happened (laughs) (laughs)
0: this is my favorite friday night lights alert yet this is what i was hoping to discover through the course of this podcast because (laughs) for anyone who really watched friday night lights and who really watched parenthood most of the crossovers are very obvious like Michael B. Jordan shows up in a very prominent role. And you go, oh, that's Vince. (laughs) Right, right. But this was Laura's assistant. Oh, my gosh. The actress's name is Genevieve Norris. She's just credited as assistant in this episode. And she was also apparently (laughs) in the season five, episode five of Friday Night Lights called Kingdom as a South Kingdom cheerleader. Oh, my gosh. Which is one of the teams they play. That episode was also directed by Patrick Norris, who directed this episode. So I wonder if that's the link. Or, I mean, who knows? I suspect she didn't even have dialogue on Friday Night Lights. I did not search out the episode to look her up. But oh my God. I literally don't remember humbug. what the
1: assistant was on this episode of Parenthood mm-hmm. that I just watched twice. I, she way, brings
0: to... Julia into the office.
2: I have no memory of
1: her face. She's I'll blonde. Have to go... so that's all. <laughs> I was like, how, how
2: do you figure this out? Do you have like a spreadsheet or something? That's
1: amazing. <laughs> the research you do, my friend, That's is amazing. just really something. I love That's it.
0: Thorough. But <laughs> great job, Genevieve Norris. You were chameleon like. <laughs> Let's discuss Julia quitting at the end of this episode.
4: Where have you been?
3: I was at my son's baseball game. I'm sorry, my phone was in my purse. Up
4: this morning. These last six months, Julia. Um,
3: if this is about the request for admissions, I spoke to opposing counsel and- It
4: didn't work. They filed a motion to deem and the court's going to grant it. It's over. Julia, what the hell happened to you? Where have you been? Your hours have been dismal and that- You miss a discovery deadline. Leon, I'm sorry.
3: I- I will make this up.
4: Do you have any idea what this is costing this firm? Clients threatening to walk. This is a multi-million-dollar screw-up. Two years ago, this wouldn't have happened. A year ago, this wouldn't have happened. This is rookie crap.
3: You're right. I... I... I apologize.
4: What we're trying to say, Julia, is... you were on a partner track.
3: I was?
4: You need to tell us right now that this will never happen again. And you need to tell us that you want this job, that your focus is 100% on your clients. Julia?
3: I don't think that it is. I I don't think that I am 100% committed. Julia? I thought that I could do it all, but I can't. Not now, anyway. Thank you for these last nine years, Leon. I quit.
0: This scene kind of reminded me of when Gordon lectured Adam in season two about, you're not focused enough on work. Forget your family. (laughs) And both times they feel a little like a plot device. Well, like the show is forcing the characters (laughs) To choose,
1: and the characters always choose family. Yeah, I (laughs) I buy it
0: more in a law firm because you know he says this is a multi million dollar mistake. Then I do a shoe company. Yeah, I think like is this shoe boss really so upset that Adam has a family? But it still felt a little manufactured. But I did admire Julia's honesty in the moment that when presented with that maybe sort of false choice. That she was just honest and said, well, if you're asking me if I'm thinking of nothing else except work, the answer is no. (laughs) I'm thinking about lots of other things. And if that's what you're going to force me to do, then forget it. This is not the right place for me. But what did you guys think?
1: I just couldn't stop thinking about how I think the show wanted us to see that as like this noble let's stand up and cheer moment. I could be wrong, but I felt like it. And, of course, in that episode, we saw her, like, have, like, a breakdown. I mean, something had to give. <laughs> but I just kept thinking of her of her husband. I kept thinking of Joel. I'm like, wait, did she just she, – she's the only one working between the two of them, and they just adopted a son. She just quit her job without having a conversation <laughs> with him first about what they'll do. I just – that was the part I could – you know, I mean – I wanted to think it was badass and cool, but I think I was just like practical brain, kept thinking, wait, 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 you don't quit a job, so you have another job or plan or plan for Joel to go back to work. What will you do? And so I think I was just really feeling panicked at that. But I agree she couldn't have just kept going the way she was going. And those guys seemed like dicks, and I didn't like them, and I thought it was kind of cool that she walked out, I guess, but... I just kept imagining what happens after she'll go home and Joel will be like, what now you quit if we didn't talk about it. So yeah. What, what, Meryl, what was your thought? It
2: just felt, it felt kind of trite to me, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you guys have hit it right on the head. Like they kind of forced it into this sort of plot device thing. <laughs> and I get that, but yeah, it's just never that black and white. Is it? I yeah. mean, never, ever, ever. And I think again, I think this idea that you can't put your family first and also value your job is sort of a false choice because it's, you know, minute to minute some days almost like juggling back and forth between them. Um, at the same, you know, I appreciated kind of the burnt toast moment in this episode because yeah, I mean, I have had moments like that, honestly, where it's just like I just can't do this today. But then you get some sleep, you take a minute, and then you come back to it. Like and I will say, I say that, but I've never, you know, that's not a choice really. And I don't, I don't, so I don't want to say that, that in like the public defense world, which again, is just sort of so different from that big law firm world. I don't want to say that we're never choosing between our families and our jobs because we are like every day. Um, Cause you're, yeah. you know, you're working crazy hours, you're getting ready for trials or arguments or whatever, but all of that pushing and pulling is really like so much more internal than it is, you know, some evil guy sort of putting that pressure on you. It's like, (laughs) you know, for me, it's like, I have, you know, my client over here that needs me to do a really good job on this thing because, you know, his, his freedom or his life or all of the things are at stake. And I have, you know, my kiddo that needs me to help with an art project. And it's like, there are times that you have to choose the art project, right? There are times that you, you know, it's like, nope, I've just got to sit down and do this right now. But I just can't picture like walking out like that. That just, yeah. that seemed, that rang really false for me. Yeah,
0: It also makes me wonder everything we've seen of Julia throughout this series is that she really loves her job Yeah, mm-hmm. and it felt impulsive in a way that makes me wonder, like you said, Melissa, what happens after? Yeah. My guess is, well, if I know Julia and if she remains consistent I feel like she's going to really regret that and pretty soon probably.
5: Yeah.
0: And Meryl, like you said, you know, you take a breath, mm-hmm. you get some sleep.
1: Yeah. Had she slept at all before well, yeah. she made this decision? Yeah. You know, yeah, she was
0: exhausted. When she takes some time, is she going to think, what did I just do? Because mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to be home all day.
5: Yeah. Even
0: though we know she loves her kids too. I mean, that's one thing I think mm-hmm. is nice about her character is that while they have shown that, struggle a lot between work and family they have allowed her to love both and they've never Mm -hmm. really made the viewers question her allegiance to either of them and that feels really true to me but now they've kind of made her pick one and it's like Mm -hmm. she's gonna resent (laughs) that that's an F somewhere uh, to yeah. go. I, she's really uh, good at her work. Uh,
1: well, I'm not realizing doesn't she have vacation days saved up? Couldn't she just be like I need a month, you know, I I need
5: mm-hmm.
1: I need a break? Like is is there no universe where 9 years of really great work like that does? there's they mm-hmm. can't work out something that they don't try to stop her when she walks out? You, you know, like they're just and, and she doesn't think about that before she has this grand gesture moment, it just, yeah, I mean, it makes for good television, I think, but just if these are real people, I'm, yeah, I'm real nervous. I I think impulsive decisions, there are times for them, I suppose, but it's more like, I will take that candy bar as I'm checking out of the grocery store. (laughs) It's not so much, I will quit this job and, you know, go home to my gigantic house. (laughs) where <laughs> my husband and I now both don't work, and I don't know. I just, <laughs> Is that yeah. paid off? Is that paid off? Yeah, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around I it. I did want her to have a break. I mean, she was exhausted, but it just felt a little like throwing the baby out with the bathwater or something. Like, mm-hmm. like you're exhausted, take a break. You know?
2: Yeah, go find something where you can do those things that you do that you love, but there's some balance. Or yeah. you know, I mean, I think. Yeah. It's, it's being presented as like an all or nothing choice. And I think it's, it's way more gray than that. Yeah. I mean, couldn't she even say if
1: these are the terms of this job, I am going to have to look for another job. And so what am I worth to you? If, if you're Mm -hmm. like, go ahead, then I just am letting you know that will be happening. I mean, or is she afraid, like, they would just fire me? You know, is that, is that the is that how all or nothing yeah. it is? Maybe. I don't
0: know. Or is there any, yeah, I have no idea how law firms work. I don't either. But when they <laughs> say, you know, you were on partner track, is there any way to say, okay, take me off of that? My yeah. chief mm-hmm. ambition is not to rise through the ranks. I just want a steady job. And if that means I don't advance as far as I could have, if I were willing to you know, put in more hours here, then I'm fine with that. I want to keep doing what I like to do. And I want to be able to go to my daughter's recital.
1: Yeah.
0: But I don't know if someone can ask for like a demotion.
2: Maybe
1: not. (laughs) No.
2: I, you know, and I don't, honestly, I have not. Cause I, I knew that was not a world I wanted to go into. Like even in law school, like that just was not, interesting to me even. So I don't, I don't know as much about it as I should, because I just didn't care. Uh, <laughs> <That's> so, <great. laughs> but, um but I mean, I think that there is some expectation that you will, you know, either, either keep advancing or move on. So I think in some places, I'm sure that is possible, but in others, I suspect that it might not be, you know, it's, it's you advance or you get out. Wow. One hopes that there are alternatives. And I think that there are, more and more, and particularly as more women become lawyers, I think it's kind of been like, no, really, we're, you know, we're here. We're doing a good job. If you want us to stay, you're going to have to give us a little bit of flexibility. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who was asking all those male partners about their work life right. balance? Anyway. Gosh. <laughs> Just, no,
1: that's yeah. such a good point. And I thought it was a really interesting choice that opposing counsel was a woman who looked around Julia's age. And then the, the higher ups at the end were like, you know, old men you know and it was it was interesting like I got the idea that like maybe Julia and this opposing councilwoman, like maybe in some ways have like understood each other and you know like just because she didn't do what Julia wanted that doesn't mean she's not sympathetic or like that they didn't kind of go yeah. through some things together but yeah that that is an interesting thing I just thought about like maybe she thought she could reason with her because they're both women and and understand mm-hmm. that but but no <laughs> Can't yeah.
0: Like you said earlier, Melissa, I do not think I'd be cut out for any job where any mistake could be a multi-million-dollar mistake. <laughs> That's I not think my I line of work. <laughs> That's the level of mistakes that are possible. No, I, I
1: I actually love that at my job I cannot advance. Uh, the only the only way to advance as a teacher is to become an administrator, which I have no interest in becoming. And so, some people might be like, "What's the point? You can't rise up the ranks." I'm like, "This is great. I'll just I, every year I'm just sort of tweaking lesson plans and figuring out, did that go well last year? That unit on." the namesake or should I change it? Um, yeah, it's just like much lower stakes, even though, you know, you're serving people and that matters. But I mean, Meryl, you and I both said we cared about our work and that we care about the people, but my job is not life or death. I mean, did that get to you sometimes? Like, just the... the <laughs> I figured. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Sorry. It got
3: no. to her twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two
1: times Two and all times. that. Time.
0: Yeah. One last legal question.
3: Yes, I am a
1: lawyer.
0: And I know you're a public defender, not mm-hmm. in a you know, private firm. But Leon mentions and Laura mentioned earlier that Julia was on a partner track. At what age could a lawyer reasonably expect that they might make partner
2: um so assuming that you went to college for four years and then you went straight to law school you know maybe putting a clerkship in there uh, yeah maybe 35 I mean assuming you went pretty you know because it's it's you've got four years of under you know you graduate from high school four years of undergrad so like I was 23 when I graduated from undergrad and then I would have been 23 20- Five when I graduated from law school yeah so you know de- depending on if you go work for a judge first which a lot of people do but not everybody does I would say seven to ten years after that okay so yeah thir- 30 35 ish maybe best guess she's not there <laughs> no she, she's not there we don't know exactly
0: how old she is but isn't Crosby 35
2: yeah. well he was in
1: season one so he's probably more like I Yeah, I think we figured out or at one point Yeah, I thought in
0: family portrait when we did all that math. We did all that math.
1: (laughs) I think she she graduated high school in ninety-seven because there was a ninety-seven yearbook once. She was at prom and Sydney was looking through it. And so if this was two thousand twelve, I'm guessing she was like thirty-two or something, Mm -hmm. thirty-three.
0: I guess they could weasel out of it by by saying track. She's yeah. not necessary. Although Laura says, "Rumor has it you're next." Doesn't she say that? I think she. But maybe does. next, she... you know, in a few years.
1: Maybe so. I do oh, think well. there's a line in season one where she is talking to Joel about her goals, and she's like, "You remember what I always used to say that I would do this for a few years, and then." like environmental law or something. And he was like, I feel like you said that once after a gore rally. Uh, And his guess was when she was like, you know what I used to say? He was like that you wanted to make partner by 30. I think that was um, something she always used to say, which seems insane. I don't that what Meryl just said, I'm like, Mm. that doesn't seem possible. But maybe like a total workaholic, which is how Julia's sort of been presented. So I don't know. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, I would think 30 would be doing really well. Yeah. In fact, I think there's a line in Legally Blonde. Yes. Where she says, speaking I my language need to make partner by 30. So <laughs> yes. that's her ambitious goal. <laughs> that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that was invaluable. Oh my gosh. Yes. Caleb and I just would have been like, I wonder if that's how um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: lawyers talk. I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that? <laughs> so <laughs> well let's move on to another Braverman sibling, Sarah. I was working on a list of bosses that Sarah hasn't kissed so far. I've got <laughs> the guy from the bar and that's it. That's it.
1: Wow. <laughs> Although, good call.
0: To be fair, she did not kiss Hank. I feel like definitely he, he kissed, kissed her. Her, Yes. But mm-hmm. anyway, my first note on this storyline was I've never been in a dark room, but I feel like they're always where steamy stuff goes down in movies and TV even though I don't have a single example, <laughs> it just is this idea in my head. All I know is if I'm ever in one and don't get any action, I'll be upset. I'll feel yeah. like I've been deprived of
2: something,
0: <laughs> some experience.
2: Meryl, were you in the dark room in high school? That's, yeah, no, that's what I was kind of thinking. So uh, nothing for the record, nothing ever happened to me in the Pittsburgh high school dark room. Good. good, um, good. But I, was I didn't even know they it. had one. No, they, they did. Had they had they one, don't yes, anymore. Yes no was it
0: like back um, in the I, art room
2: in the journalism room
0: oh
5: yeah mrs yeah. good yeah
2: i i was vaguely aware that things happened in the dark room i will say that Ooh. but never never to me so
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i thought we i don't think i've ever been in a dark room yeah but i feel like it's right up there with planetariums for romantic moments yeah um, yeah, any room that's dark, really. I guess yeah. that's what those have in common.
3: This wasn't um, exactly
1: yeah.
0: romantic. I think the no, uh, sexual non-consensuality of it
1: yeah. takes I a lot of
0: the romance away.
1: Both times her boss has kissed her, I've thought, well, that complicates her new job that she was really excited about. Um, <laughs> and I just, I kept thinking, okay, so I'm pretty sure she's interested in Hank and we'll get into that. But if she weren't, and she's got a fiance that especially sucks. Cause what is she supposed to do? Does she go tell her fiance that that happened? And then he's probably like, well, she probably quit. Right. And then she's like, but I love this job, you know? And I just think that's why it sucks. You don't do that to your employees yeah. for many, many reasons, but that's, that's one of them. It just makes it a really difficult time at work. And she's fought really hard to have something she cares about. And I think she's really good at this and likes it a lot. And so I felt really uncomfortable for that reason. But then I also felt uncomfortable for other reasons. So was it romantic in any universe or was it just troubling and upsetting? Meryl, you were just dropped in. You didn't even know she had a fiance at that point. For all you knew, they may have been a couple and what a cute moment between them. Uh, So did you... What, what were your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think I realized right away that he was her boss, and then I think I, like, read something online later or something with, like, and I was like, oh, oh, so it kind of did make me kind of, like, <laughs> re-see the scene. It was like, oh, okay, these are just two people kissing in a dark room. Cool, but then, yeah, that that just put a different yeah. a different uh, frost on it, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it just, I don't know, and I'm, I'm with you, Melissa. I mean, I think love happens where it happens, whatever, but um, it really complicates work and you know is is pretty inappropriate when it's a boss and a subordinate i mean yeah
1: and you know that the subordinate is engaged to be married like yeah. that too. It's not even yeah. like, oh, sorry, misread the signal. I thought something was happening here. Like yeah. he even knows that she's got somebody, as he says later. And so I'm like, well, what, on what planet did you think this was a good idea? I mean, even if you are interested and you mm-hmm. think there's something happening, why would you start with a kiss? You know, why wouldn't you maybe just say, am I crazy or is there something happening? And and if there is, is it the, for the best that you work here? or something. I don't know. Like, I just feel like mm-hmm. would a conversation be a good idea? Again, maybe not the best TV, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. That's a weird conversation though,
2: right? Like, That's a
0: weird conversation.
1: Mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, hi, I'm your boss and I have kind of a crush on you. So what do you think about that? Like, sorry. <laughs> That's true. And he's
0: not even good at normal conversations.
2: No, so. no, he's not.
0: Yeah. When you asked, like, is it in any way romantic? Uh, maybe in his own head? In that yeah. moment, it was romantic. Like, I I totally buy why he was compelled to do it. Not that I think it's okay. But in that moment, she helped him with his daughter. They're developing the picture. It's dark. You know, <laughs> I get that. But that's why self-control exists. Right. <laughs> like, you can't just do anything you feel at any moment. Right. And um, I, I wrote down later, it's like, Sure. Why wouldn't he fall for Sarah? But I think she's much more of a catch. Uh, Here's the one way in which I sort of sympathize with Hank and feel bad for him. I think she's much more of a catch for him than he would be for her. And that feels almost like objectively true. (laughs) I I understand there is (laughs) some, you know, subjective opinion in that. But all in all, I think, yeah, these things are not quite equally matched And I think he knows it. And that can't feel good. And even when he says, you know, and I know you got someone, it doesn't feel good to like someone who you can't have. But again, that doesn't allow you to kiss them in a dark room. That's just, those are feelings you gotta deal with on your own. They're not yours to kiss.
1: Exactly. I mean... Prior to Mark, I was always in unrequited love, you
0: know, and I didn't just kiss them. And even if she weren't engaged, even if she weren't in a relationship at all, even if she were fair game, so to speak, that's not your first move, especially if you're working together. You don't just kiss and then talk about what it might have meant.
1: You might if you're on a date. You wouldn't if you're a boss. But I think
0: you would need to like, again, say like, I like you or like, would you like to go on a date? I don't know. <laughs> it, yeah. Let's hear how Sarah tries to handle it.
6: Hank, I'm having a tough time not uh, talking about, you know... What? Look, it's like there's only two people in this office, you know, so I can't just... You can't, like, kiss like me it, and then I, I know, go back to Photoshop. No, I... Right? It was nothing, no, all yeah, right? What? It
4: was nothing. You got close to me.
6: I got close to you? I got... Oh, well, I got... I get it. No, I got too close. I'm sorry. It was, you know not get
4: too close. They it just oh,
6: close enough that your reflex is just to kiss me. That's a, I didn't I didn't know there was a, a boundary there. It was
4: there. We just oh my god. <laughs> just you
6: can't help yourself. I mean, I know I'm all right. A all right come on, life. just
4: cut it out. You're not all that, okay? So what? All right, I didn't mean that. I, I'm sorry. I'm not all
6: that, that yet. I mean, I understand. I didn't mean it. Okay, right. no, it's fine. I just want to have lunch. I'm not all that. Have That's lunch. good, because now I know you have no... Can I just eat don't...
4: in peace, really? Can, Can I, just... I just eat in peace? Come on.
6: Can I just work in the dark room in peace? It's like, now I don't know, you know, if something's gonna happen. Like, if I get too... Fine, know, okay. It wasn't
4: nothing. <laughs> oh,
6: I don't... I didn't mean, you know, not...
4: <sighs> it wasn't nothing. You're funny. You're pretty. You're nice. I like talking to you. And I, I know you got somebody. So let's just leave it at that, all right? Okay, please.
1: Yeah. Small note, I feel like people were really downplaying the significance of her fiancé the entire episode. I think he's like, you know, I know you got somebody. And then later when Zeke's Zeke. like, and this is Sarah's friend. I'm like, friend. try fiancé. I, fiance. I note of that too, yeah. yeah. What? I don't understand. Yeah. It's not like Ryan, who he was introducing him to, is like three and doesn't understand the concept of fiancé. <laughs> it's like, why would she say, this is Sarah's special friend? You know, I don't... <laughs> anyway, that's just a quick note. But I'm like, why? What the hell? Nobody's yeah. like legitimizing this. But Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Ray Romano is super likable in this role. And I do sort of feel for him despite it all. I'm like, I shouldn't, though. Why would you kiss someone? And even when he's like, I know you got somebody, it's like, well, then what the hell, man? Self control, like you said, Caleb, just doesn't make any
2: sense. It's even more than that. Like at the beginning, he's like almost blaming her. Right. Like you got you got too close to me. So like it's your fault that I kissed you. Like, oh well, and
0: then when he said, you know, you're not all that <laughs> He insults her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is maybe a leap, but what it made me think of was at least one of the women who accused Trump, him saying, <gasps> you know, look at her, okay. I wouldn't go after her. Wow. Saying, you know, basically she was too ugly to assault. Wow which is not what assault is about. Right. I don't think, I'm not saying Hanks was the same level, but it was kind of the same concept. Well, you're not all that. I'm not so in love with you that I couldn't stop myself from kissing you. But then he does kind of say, well, yeah, you are. But (laughs) I wondered initially when watching this, I'm like, what was Sarah after in this scene? I think I was a little thrown because she was actually laughing through most of it. Yeah. But I think in watching it again. Is she uncomfortable? Yeah. It seemed to me like that was kind of her way of covering, of kind of just like getting through the confrontation. Yeah. Because it's really uncomfortable and really awkward. And like she says, there's only two people in the office. So it's not like she can just keep to herself or go Mm -hmm. hang out with the other coworkers who didn't kiss her. (laughs) Right. And it seems very in keeping with Sarah's nature to use humor to handle things I don't know so I was like maybe she just wanted an assurance from him that either he knew it was wrong or it wouldn't happen again or that I feel like it kind of backfired because she ended up getting him to admit that there was something really significant behind it I'm like Mm -hmm. this is maybe even worse (laughs) but I don't think it on her end I don't think it actually changes anything whether he has feelings for her or not You can't do that because how is she supposed to come into work every day? Yeah. Knowing like this is okay and Mark can feel okay about me coming here and I can feel secure.
1: I think it's really complicated for so many reasons. I mean, if she weren't interested in him, which is clearly not the direction the show is going, but if she weren't... Then I would say her point was probably to, when she, when she says something like, you know, can I just eat lunch? You know, when he's like, can we just eat lunch? And she was like, can I, can I go into the dark room and not get, you know, kissed? like, I, I would feel like that would be the point to say, this needs to be professional. This can't happen again. But I think it gets murky because she's obviously falling for him as well. And so that kind of bums me out because it takes all the <laughs> air out of the sort of sexual harassment. Like, I mean, maybe it doesn't actually, maybe, you know, we've talked about Bill Clinton before and Monica Lewinsky, and she was definitely interested in him and his actions were still wrong. And so even if she is interested in Hank, he's still as the, as the boss and in the position of power, even if she's interested, he should not have.
0: anyway. And I don't think she has made that known. I don't think she's even admitted that to herself. I think you're right. Yeah. And I think it's okay. I mean, she's only human if she's interested in him, she can't stop herself from feeling that. But what she can do is exercise self-control in her behavior, which I feel like she has. I don't think she's flirting with Hank. I don't think, and even if that, as if that would justify him kissing her anyway, which I don't think it does, but I don't think she's even really like, I wouldn't look at, her behavior up to now and be like, well, Sarah, you've been playing with fire and you got burned. No, no I don't, I think, don't so. think she did at all. She's just being nice and being herself. And yeah, she helped with his daughter. But I don't think that's crossing a boundary. I don't he think brought so the daughter there.
2: Yeah. And again, it it is interesting just how much all of the like how much more we're thinking about all of that stuff now in you know almost what almost 2022 yeah. than we were 10 years ago because i think it it reads a lot differently and you know we can talk about whether it should or not but i i think it does I think it does too.
0: Yeah. I do think it's significant that in this episode she didn't even seem to consider telling mark. No. I mean in that very first scene when they woke up And she was clearly so bothered. I thought, oh, does she does she wake him up and tell him? But no, she like literally just runs away from her problems. Yeah. (laughs) And then then at the end, I wrote down, oh, Sarah, the move after you kiss your boss is not to move in with your boyfriend. Yeah. It's to tell him what happened. Do you think she should have told him or if it's something that she feels like she can resolve at work? Can she keep it between her and Hank?
1: I think she has to do some soul searching and decide what she really wants. And this might sound drastic, but I think if she really, really wants to get married to Mark, then I think she should leave her job and find a different one. And that really might not be fair to her because she genuinely enjoys it. But I, I think you can be uh, maybe friends with someone you're attracted to if you both exercise self-control. But I think this is playing with fire. I think I think to be working with someone who's admitted that they have feelings for you and yeah. she, I think, is starting to realize she has feelings for him. Now, if instead that makes her realize she shouldn't marry Mark, well, then that's a different thing. And then maybe she can continue working there and, hey, she'll just start dating him. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe that's fine. But I, I do think... She probably shouldn't try to do exactly what she did in this episode, which is act to mark like nothing happened at work and continue having deep discussions about feelings with her boss. I think that is a collision course. That's not a great idea. So that's what I
0: think. It reminds me of a friend of mine. I may have brought this up before. I can't remember. But she was in grad school at NYU for you Oh, you told me.
1: I can't remember if you mentioned it on the podcast, but go on.
0: And she was teaching. As part of her job, she would teach non-majors who wanted to take voice lessons as an elective. And at the time she was married, but her husband was a soldier and he was overseas in Iraq. So she was alone on the continent, you know, without (laughs) her husband. And one of her students that she was teaching was very, very attractive. And this friend, I can't imagine that anything ever would have happened between her and this student who was also, you know, an adult. This was college. This was not a minor. But she had him placed with a different teacher. And that, to me, is like what my Uncle Lyle said two seasons ago about margins. Would anything have happened? Probably not. If he goes and works with another teacher, then definitely nothing is going to happen. And that is being very respectful of her husband. And it's being respectful of her marriage, don't even go there that's
1: exactly it like i mean i'm i'm no puritan i think i think people could be friends i even think you can probably like navigate attraction to other people etc but i i do think it's just a, a mistake i think to continue being in a situation where you're tempted if what you want is to marry this other person and i think sometimes <laughs> we act like love is this protective shield or something and that well my love for this person will <laughs> Protect me from any possible problems. And I'm like, well, not necessarily. I think you also have to not put yourself in bad situations. And, you know, I think when I was younger and, you know, things seemed simpler, I was like, oh, well, when you're in love, that's it. You'll never be attracted to anybody else or you'll never, you know, nobody will ever be attracted to you because they'll understand, oh, you're married or you're in a relationship. And I'm like, that's just not how life works. I totally buy that Hank would would kiss her. But then unfortunately, she has a decision to make, I think. And,
0: um, I think yeah. you. I really like how you phrased that. That you thought it would be something that would protect you, but in reality, I think the love is something that you need to protect.
1: Yes, that's it. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the
2: ticket right there. And so, I mean,
1: yeah, I think anybody, if you're in a two-person office, and the first thing is you, and, so, and I mean, it sucks. It's not fair for her to go get another job. She shouldn't have to. I don't know. And I think the only way that she wouldn't have to quit maybe is if she talked to Mark about it and maybe Mark and Hank had a conversation. Uh, Like maybe all three of them have a conversation. Like Christina
0: and Rachel. Yes,
1: that's a good point. Yes. I think maybe it could work if everyone is like out in the open and Hank's like, I messed up. I'm never doing that again. You know, and, and, and she's like, just so we're clear, this is my person and you and I are coworkers. And then, you know, maybe you could navigate that, but... I think the fact that she does not do that means she likes Hank. And that's a whole other thing. So yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I felt so bad for Mark because like he looked so happy when she was like, let's move in together. And I'm like, oh, you poor thing. Like, he just, <laughs> it's like yeah. This this is not coming from a healthy place. <laughs> no. And Meryl, something else we've talked about is how Hank's kind of a mess, you know. And mm. her fiance, even though he's younger than she is, he's like way more of an adult than anybody else in the storyline he's really together yeah and he's really kind and it just he does not deserve this um so
2: and there's such an element there of like you have like the perfect guy and but it's like too perfect Mm -hmm. kind of thing like i i felt like I don't know. I mean, I haven't dated in a very long time. I'll just <laughs> throw that out there. But uh, you know, back when I was 14 um, <laughs> like there was such a thing as like a guy that's too nice, you mm-hmm. know? And I say that again, you know, having already said today that my husband is a really, really good guy, but he is also not a doormat. Right. Um, and I think sometimes good guys can be like, oh yeah, of course, like whatever you want. And it's like, okay, but you got to stand up for yourself too. That is true. Yeah.
1: I used to worry that I only liked jerks. Mm-hmm. And then when I started dating Mark, who was not a jerk, but real fiery, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like funny and, and does stand up for himself, you know, and challenges me in a lot of ways. And I think it started to occur to me like, oh no, I just, some people are kind of boring and sometimes (laughs) nice can be boring. And that doesn't mean I want to go the other way and date a monster, but a a little bit of fire and tenacity and, and challenge. And maybe that's what she really likes about Hank. They do kind of banter, they, ha- you know, this episode was a weird one, like <laughs> the like awkwardness and stuff. But prior to this, it has been kind of fun to watch their repartee and everything. And she does have banter with with her fiance, but it's, it, it is different. It's uh real easy and light. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, yeah.
0: And I think sometimes like understanding is great to have a partner who's understanding. But you also want to know that they have self respect. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. about like last season when Sarah was assisting her ex-husband trying to get sober and clean. And so she was like putting him in rehab and was really there for him and had to pull back from Mark a little bit in the process of doing that. And he was very understanding but at one point he did say in like the most cool headed way, if you keep canceling on me, that's just not going to be okay. And I thought in that moment, you learn that Mark has some respect for himself. His love for her will not just give her license to treat him however she wants. And I think that's important to know. Yes, yeah, that's true. I don't think you actually want to be with a person like that, even yeah. if it is very understanding of them. I think it maybe speaks to a larger issue that you would want to be warned about.
1: But now that you mention that, it does make me think, This is the second person Sarah has kissed since being in a relationship with Mark, because her
0: ex-husband. I just took a drink of water and it almost did a spit (laughs) take.
1: That's so fun because that hadn't occurred to me. But But yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of that. She kissed Seth, her ex, and in that moment, I really thought it was okay that she didn't tell Mark about that because then he like moved, and it felt like it was like a one-time, kind of a closure, old old time's sake. sake. yeah. Yeah not a new threat. He left and their relationship got a lot better after he did. But now I'm like, this is a damn pattern and you don't deserve Mark.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, She does seem self sabotaging. That's true too.
1: Yeah.
0: She (laughs) twice now she's had a mess or this reliable thing and she keeps getting drawn over to the mess. I think she, I do think she thinks that's what she deserves definitely think there's something. or maybe that. because seth was her first experience probably of romantic love maybe that's what she thinks romantic love is
1: Ooh. let me
0: find someone i have to take care of
1: yeah and mm. tend to
0: and mark is self-sufficient, self-sufficient. Yes. Yes. yeah and so it's so like well no, is that, that really love yeah I'm not having to you know monitor him all the time
1: That's a good point. We got to unlearn a lot of crap that we were brought up to believe to be true, right? About (laughs) love, like romantic And even, oh my gosh,
0: this is maybe too far, but her love from her father. Yeah. Zeke is a mess too. I mean, I think Zeke has many, many wonderful qualities. And I think he was probably a fantastic father and still is. But I mean, as he talks about in this episode, he had some real demons. Yeah. Not to mention just attitudes and the way he is. He's not always the easiest person to be around. And if she associate, you know, if she saw her mom just loving him through all of his blow ups and mess. Oh, that's what you do. You just stand by your man and keep him in check.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Well, let's talk about Zeke a little bit and his burgeoning relationship with Ryan. Yeah. It was sort of a storyline <laughs> but I loved this scene between Zeke and Camille.
3: Well, it was good that you went to see him. That was a good thing.
4: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I only slammed the door in my face.
3: Well, at least he knew that there was someone who cared enough about him to check up on him. You know, poor kid, he's probably confused. He's certainly angry. And, uh, you know, he doesn't know where he belongs. No.
2: Yeah. It was a long time before you came back to
4: me. Oh, thank God I had someone to come back to.
0: I thought even though this was a little scene, it packed a big punch for me. I was just so moved seeing an old couple have a scene like this. And, you know, even though I'm getting older every day and (laughs) being disabused of this idea, I think in some way, part of my mind thinks that, well, once you reach a certain age, you just don't have the same concerns and needs as younger people. You kind of just get over that. But that's not true. And (laughs) Zeke is feeling unsure or maybe insecure about how to handle this relationship with Ryan. And so who does he turn to? The same person he's been turning to for decades, his wife. That's what she's there for. And she talks with him to try and make him feel better, reflect on it, maybe strategize what he can do next. I just thought it was nice to see. Although I I do think it'd be nice if we saw him do that for her. <laughs> yeah. More, because we, like, yeah. never see that. No. And... Um, Good point. I, I do feel like Zeke gets more independent storylines than Camille does. She's kind of around a lot to be supportive of a lot of people.
5: Yeah.
0: Whereas Zeke has a little more of his own inner life. But anyway, I still loved this scene.
1: I loved it too. Well, and, you know, since we do have Meryl on here, And Meryl is, you know, my age. (laughs) We are not Zeke and Camille's age by any means, but (laughs) but, but you mentioning that you haven't been single in such a long time. And yeah, I mean, like you and Blaine, high school sweethearts and still, you know, really happy. And I'm curious because of Caleb saying that earlier about do the things you talk to each other about change. I guess I'm if you feel comfortable talking about it, how has your relationship changed? You know, like, I mean, obviously you guys were kids when you started dating and now you're adults. So like, I don't know, did you find yourselves like changing together and like then you have kids and it's a whole new thing? I don't, I don't know. I just think that's an interesting thing to ponder when we're looking at this.
2: Yeah, there are definitely phases. And it's really weird. What really has been giving me like a head trip lately is I realized that, um, so our oldest Knox turns 11 in February, which will make him four years younger than his dad was when I met him. Whoa. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that makes me feel old. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I I think our relationship has definitely had some like phases, you know, like kind of learning to live together because we were married for five years before we had kids because we were both still in school. And so then like that first, like sort of moving in together and learning that piece of it, and then actually having Knox was, I mean, it was, it was definitely different, but like really a big change happened. I felt like in our relationship when we had Betty, because when we had Knox, like there were still two of us, we could kind of pass them back and forth. But once we had my daughter, we had some serious conversations about just like shuffling household responsibilities and sort of things like that. And kind of like. I think about that time, some of the really good articles came out about emotional labor. Oh, yeah. Um, and I realized that I was the one keeping all of the lists in my head of like, this is what we need to buy toilet paper. And I'm, you know, doing the grocery shopping. And 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 it wasn't that he wasn't helping, but he was helping and not necessarily like taking categories of it. So that's, we had a, some really good conversations at that point about like, okay, Like this category of stuff is yours now. And then like me having to step back because I'm kind of a control freak um, (laughs) and like let go of that too. Um, Like sometimes the laundry isn't gonna get folded exactly the way I would do it, but you know what, it's done, so whatever. Um, Or, you know, my daughter, bless her heart, she loves to dress herself. Some of the things she goes to school in, I just have to like (laughs) walk out the door and not look, you know, um, and that kind of stuff. But it- definitely has let me you know have my own life not as just a mom or a wife in a way that would have been hard to do if I was marshalling all of that so yeah so we've had some different phases and and as you go through that your conversations change right you're talking about god we've been Blaine is actually getting ready to buy a business at the first of the year so we've been having all these financial planning discussions of like what are our you know what are our goals in life now that we're you know basically sort of established, but like, do we want to travel more? Do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? And we weren't talking about that when we were 15. Right. Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would have been weird if you had been.
5: Yeah. Yes.
2: yes. But there is something that I I really do feel like I see couples. I'm just going to use house cleaning as a metaphor because it's easy where it's like Like, sort of the idea is like, how little work can I do here and -hmm. still get this job done? And I feel like it took us a while to figure out. But once we figured out that, like, we are a team and we're both just going to work until it's done and, you know, house cleaning and life, I guess. But things got a lot better for our relationship. And that was like a really growth part when it was like, okay, we're not two individuals anymore. We're actually on a team. And sometimes he's going to do more, sometimes I'm going to do more. But you know, eventually it all has to get done and we're going to try to be as fair as we can and treat each other fairly. I think that's a huge thing. Um, so anyway, I don't know if I answered your question. You totally did. Well, and it just,
1: what I think fascinated me because I agree with Caleb, I loved that scene and I feel like it's one of the scenes where they, yeah, they weren't just the established older couple on the show. I could see every stage of their life sort of reflected in that scene. They're talking about when, you know, the beginning of their relationship when he got back from the war and she was like, it took you a long time to come back to me. And I thought, well, that was a phase. And then they have four children together and that was a phase and they had some really dark days. They did, you know, like, and, and, Now I think they're probably better than they'd ever been. And what a beautiful thing for them to experience that now. And I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting thing about long-term relationships. And Caleb and I have both talked about how we find those more interesting than, oh, look, Hank just kissed Sarah in the dark room. I don't know that I care about that as much as these investments of time and, and, you know, like changing with a partner and what that looks like after kids and what that looks like at different phases of your life. So thank you for speaking on that too. And I like to imagine you and Blaine, you know, like 20 years, 30 years in the future and sitting on your rocking chair and listening to a lighter shade of pale. It would probably be a different song, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. Anyway.
0: Well, Zeke drags Ryan to the (laughs) baseball game and I have one thing that I just want to note because I thought it was funny. As he's introducing Ryan around to everyone, and then he sits Ryan next to Amber. And he starts being Zeke.
4: Uh, excuse me, Coach, can you put Victor in the game? Yeah, what about Victor? Guys, I mean, every other kid is playing out there. No, yeah, oh, he's right. He's someone, he's someone should go talk to that guy. Come on, Coach.
0: Oh, my, oh my coach. God, you fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> the, oh, my God, you fit right in. Yeah, just killed. Just like, and so perfectly just tossed off, like yeah. just a little aside.
1: Oh, I loved that. And
0: then, Melissa, I know you noted before we started recording one that you just thought was cute. So uh, maybe we could have like
6: a game of catch one day. Yeah, why not? be pretty cool. it be pretty cool. That is
1: back-to-back episodes now where Victor has called playing catch a game of catch. <laughs> and I was like, what an adorable little thing for a kid to say. Maybe we could have a game of catch. It just feels <laughs> oddly formal. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that baseball game was just beautiful. I'm like, that is... If I were to show someone a scene from Parenthood, I would probably either pick a backyard at Zeke and Camille's under the fairy lights, like a big dinner, or I would pick a baseball game scene. Just a scene with all of them, and it's like overlapping dialogue, and it's really fun funny often and uh and then of course it you know also has serious moments but yeah Meryl I think that scene right there is a pretty good representation for someone's mm-hmm. first episode.
0: <laughs> I also loved in the game, like I'm glad that Victor got a home run, but I also really loved that the show seemed to like go out of its way to show that the home run was due to a parade of errors (laughs) (laughs) rather than a great hit I think I counted four separate errors I'm like oh you didn't get the ground ball oh you didn't catch the it was funny but yay for Victor (laughs) yeah I
1: feel like I was worried
2: because it was like yeah they kept messing up and he kept going I mean it wasn't like it just went over the fence and I was like are they are they gonna get it together and tag him out at home. Like, are they going to make it? Yeah. Like, I mean, that was that was a little stressful for me. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally.
1: I care. I was really invested. I couldn't remember mm-hmm. if he got that home run or not. So, yeah, I was yeah, really glad.
0: I also, as much as I can't stand the idea of, like, parents in the stands yelling to get their way and get their kid put in the game, I did think that the point Zeke eventually made about, well, what are we here for? Is it to win or is it to let the kids have a chance to play i'm like well that's a good point you are screaming it at the coach on the (laughs) field where you're not supposed to be i don't love that but yeah yes and i (laughs) i also wonder if zeke would be so unconcerned about winning if it weren't his grandson right who was being left out but whatever
1: yeah are we going to mention Ryan and Amber at all? Or the fact that Ryan was like mean to Zeke before he takes him to the baseball game. Go for it. I just had those little one-offs. Number one, I was like, I, we didn't see this in Ryan last episode where we met him, uh, where he was just like, you know, leave me alone, old man. You know, that's just like, where's this coming from? But then I thought, I suppose Zeke and Camille sort of, touch on that with her saying it took you a long time to come back to me and i guess if you were just like super polite all the time um and didn't have any demons that wouldn't be a very realistic storyline but i i did think that being in the same episode as him meeting amber and sort of being like oh look these two might have a spark of something yeah thought,
0: it did seem like they were
1: yeah and I thought, planting you-
0: a seed, planting maybe.
1: a seed. And if, if all we'd seen of Ryan so far was that super polite version of him, that's like, well, thank you, Zeke. It's, you know, I'm helping you with your sprinklers, you know, then I might not feel a little worried, but I'm already like, oh gosh, he's got this capability to get kind of mean. And that does seem interesting. Like it makes me realize how heavy such a relationship could be for Amber. So yeah. that's all I wanted to say about that. he didn't
0: that. show up to that interview. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And so maybe Amber and her mom, Something's Sarah. going on there. Both uh, are attracted to, <laughs> you know, people with some demons <laughs> and some some troubles, so.
0: We shall see. There was one other little storyline in this episode and that was Jasmine and Crosby. And really Crosby and Adam. When this storyline began in the episode I didn't remember exactly what it was and I thought it was going to be Jasmine and Crosby arguing about money which got me excited as we know I love money (laughs) conflicts I was like last week race this week money they're really getting to the nitty gritty (laughs) but then it shifted to Adam but I I was still excited because like well it's still a money conflict yeah but I was sad that Jasmine wasn't going to be a part of it. I just loved her in that first scene. I thought she was really funny. I loved, I admired her willingness to have an uncomfortable confrontation. When he's like, do you think I should talk to Adam about it? And she goes, why wouldn't you? And then she says, I'd be happy to talk to him. And I was like, that's great because I would be scared. And I... Props to someone who is not scared to have a conversation like that. I actually
1: wish Crosby had said, yeah, go ahead. Because we
0: know Jasmine. It would have been like super respectful, but if she would have gotten her point across. She would have been better at it than Crosby was. I just, I envy that courage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's super confident. I love it.
0: Well, the scene I wanted to play from this storyline is the following one. I was struck in this scene about the dramatic power of a secret, of us, the audience, knowing something that one of the characters, in this case, Crosby, doesn't know.
4: I thought maybe we could chat about my salary. Crosby, I I can't right now. What do you mean you can't, okay? I I want to talk about my salary. I know that. I can't. When we started this, I took a pretty big cut. So did I I it wasn't as brutal as no it's the same the same amount of brutalness we agreed to take a 25% cut in the salaries that we had at the time yeah but, we're but not that ended that well. up putting you at almost twice as much as me no not at twice as much N- that's why i said almost did you hear that part, Crosby? We agreed each to take twenty-five percent less than we'd been making to make this yeah. business work. Yeah, I okay? remember. And, and that's at when we that agreed time, was fair. at that time, it was fair. But now I don't think it's fair. Crosby, I just told you I have to get out of here early. Okay, I got a lot on my plate, so just ask me later. Let me I'm not going to ask you later. I didn't want to ask you now. That was not fine. Right, I don't want to do let's this Let's just wait over until over the end of the year when we have a more comprehensive view. The end of the year? Yeah, that's when you the end, end of okay. the year. That's what I want to talk about. Great, okay. great. Maybe at my retirement party we can discuss increasing my.
0: This scene would be just Adam being dismissive of his brother if we didn't know what Christina was going through and by extension, Adam. But since we do and Crosby doesn't, I just felt like the whole thing was like crackling and alive because you want to say like, Adam, just tell him, except it's not time yet. They're not telling people yet. And it it reminded me of the period on Friends when Monica and Chandler were sleeping together (laughs) in secret and how that fueled that portion of the series it was just this like ticking time bomb of when are people gonna know and same here you know last week adam was treating amber kind of like crap and he had to let her in on it and this week it seemed like he was just being a dick but he's not we know that he's just dealing (laughs) with stuff and it's just really bad timing but
1: and what's interesting about the friends comparison is that that was happy news and on a comedy and so all that it sort of created was like humorous, you know, Mm storylines. And here it's a sad secret on a drama. And so it is creating like tension and unrest and yeah, Yeah. like conflict. And so that's, that's a really interesting observation that you made a comparison.
0: And I like that it's a secret that I, I understand why it's a secret. It doesn't seem petty that Mm -hmm. they're keeping this to themselves. And I also don't think that they're intending to keep it to themselves forever. I mean, yeah. early on in this episode, between Adam and Christina, she says, We need to tell people. You know, yeah. she finds out that he told Amber. They decide they need to tell Hattie.
1: Oh, and I loved that the Amber thing was not dramatic. She was like, No, I'm glad you told her. I was glad that, oh, like, is that going to be a fight? No, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that was Yeah. Crazy.
0: I thought that prevented it from feeling manufactured. Like, oh, yeah. we'll get drama out of this if it's a secret. No, it's just. You take things one step at a time. When do we tell people? The time will reveal itself. So far, I do think this
1: Christina Cancer storyline is feeling very realistic. I had remembered it feeling super heavy all the time. And at least so far, I'm like, well, it is heavy. Don't get me wrong. But some of the storylines that are coming out of it are more just interesting, I guess. Like, what do we want in a doctor? Or what happens when we kind of snap at the people we love because we're under a lot of stress that they don't know about. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. when I noted in this storyline, it felt like a real payoff of sending a college age character away for school. Mm-hmm. You know, we get Sarah Ramos back, which is great. It feels like she's been gone forever, but actually she's only been gone for three episodes. <laughs> that Isn't is that crazy. wild? Yeah. She was in the first one of this season, but... First of all, I love that she got top billing among the guest stars. She deserves it. Even when, you know, Jason Ritter and Ray Romano were among the guest stars in this episode. She was above both of them. She's one of the OG Bravermans. So she deserves (laughs) that, I think. Her return is a big deal. But it seemed like if they had just had her going like to Berkeley and was just living at home, well, then we wouldn't have gotten this entire storyline about how do we tell her? What do we tell her? without impinging on her next chapter of her own life. Yeah,
1: and I bet a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, I can't. I lived at home through college. But it must be weird to, like, be still kind of a kid and living far from home while things are going down. Like, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, let's discuss the scene where they tell Hattie what's going on.
6: I, I had to go to the... I went to the doctor for my, for my mammogram, my yearly mammogram, and... Um, they found something they there. Found a small but tumor. Just small. It's so tiny. It's just minuscule. They're gonna, you know, take good care of it. I'm fine.
3: They, it, you, they found cancer.
6: It is. Yes. It is cancer.
3: Your have mom
4: the, has great doctors, and her prognosis looks really good. Yeah, we found the best doctors. We don't want doctors. you to worry, we just wanted you to know. You don't
3: want me to worry, but you have breast cancer?
6: This is, this like, it's early. The like, Very they right. caught it early. Yes. It happens all the time to so many women, okay? You know, they're going to go in and take it out, and so many women survive from this, and I'm going to be one of those women. Yep. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Please don't. It's gonna be fine, honey. I just I don't want you to worry. We just wanted to tell you because I just feel like I'm really far away. I don't know, I don't know why I'm really far away from home. We want right. we right. want you to
4: focus on school, okay? Don't worry about your mom. Everything's gonna be okay. And we want
6: you to have fun and just. Okay. Will you call? Like, when are you going in? Will you call me? Will you like tell me what's going on?
4: We'll like, you up know, to date.
6: Everything, okay?
4: Don't worry. Focus on yourself, yeah. okay?
6: We right. love you very much.
4: Love you. Bye, honey. Bye-bye
1: what did you think of the way that those parents told their daughter that news? You know what I mean? Like, did you think they did a good job or no?
2: Well, I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know how you do a good job at that, right? Like that's one of those things that there's just not like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know how you, how you make that better, but I can really relate to like, and Oh gosh, just the pandemic. I mean, let's, let's talk about that this year and having kids and, there's something about the tone in her voice that really reminded me of it just now of like, I'm really scared right now, but I have to like be reassuring Mm. and like kind of not trying to go so far overboard too. Cause kids can like, and particularly like my oldest is, is pretty sensitive guy. And like, he can like, I mean, you can just kind of see it in his eyes when you're like overcompensating in that way. Cause (laughs) it's like, it's almost like the wheels in his head are spinning and like why are you trying to convince me so hard that it's going to be okay? Because yeah. it sounds like it's not, <laughs> you know? So yeah. that's, I saw a parallel to that and some conversations that we had around our house these past couple years of like, you know, we're being safe and we're all going to be fine and everybody's going to be fine and everything is going to be fine. And, you know, like <laughs> you're just trying to sell it so hard and almost trying to convince yourself too. Right. But, yeah. um, also it's not fine. <laughs> That is such a
1: good comparison. I didn't even think of that, probably because I don't have kids that I was trying to reassure it was going to be fine to. But God, that makes so much sense. Yeah.
0: Well, and you said on that same topic a week or two ago, Melissa, that that you were so much more during the pandemic on the side of, give me the unvarnished truth. Yes. That's going to help me deal better than optimism. Yeah. Even though, of course, you hope for the best case scenario. Yeah.
1: but But I didn't want someone to just tell me. Yeah, the pandemic's going to like blow over next week. I mean, people who did tell me that, I did not believe. <laughs> and so it provided no comfort. Yeah. yeah. So it, it does make sense to make that sort of comparison. And I think, Meryl, what you're talking about is talking to kids, like actual kids. And I feel like Adam and Christina are trying to do that with their college-age daughter,
5: who yeah. maybe they
1: think of as a kid, mm-hmm. and she is not. And so... It is not comforting to her to hear, <laughs> you know. This cancer is so small; they're just gonna take it out in two it's seconds. Miniscule. It's minuscule. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it actually reminds me of a lie that Holden Caulfield tells someone on a, on a train in uh, Catcher in the Rye, where he's like trying to get out of something. So he's like, "Well, I'm having an operation. Yeah, they're removing a brain tumor. It, it'll just take three seconds." And he, anyway, <laughs> <it's awesome. laughs> like their, their tone, and that is played yeah. for laughs because he doesn't actually have a brain tumor. He's just like a compulsive liar. But here I'm like, it's not funny, but it's almost funny the way that they're like, it's cool. Like, don't even worry. You just like focus on your
2: books. (laughs) Yeah. Go to school. Go to school. Just be like normal. Focus on yourself. Go to your parties, whatever. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like, oh.
0: Well, and especially two episodes ago, the title of the episode was Everything is Not Okay. And it was about how Christina needed Adam to stop being so relentlessly positive positive because she felt like it wasn't leaving room for her to be scared about what was happening to her. And she said that to him and he heard her and it seemed like, Oh, okay. Lesson learned. But here they both seem to have not (laughs) learned the lesson. I thought that they said over and over that Hattie shouldn't worry rather than letting her be scared. If she was scared, which why wouldn't she be? Or hearing her, she said at least twice I feel so far away. Why am I so far away? That would be terrifying. And when you go, I mean, speaking as someone who did move Mm -hmm. a thousand miles away from home for school, I felt like it was like moving to a different planet. And I honestly felt my entire freshman year, like I was kind of in a state of shock of just just keep swimming, (laughs) do what you're supposed to do, go to class, do your homework, just get through it. Wow. Uh, which is not to say it was bad, but it was it was just a huge shift to throw on top of that. Oh, your mom has cancer and there's nothing you can do about it. And she's thousands of miles away. Gosh, but I get the in- I would imagine the instinct to protect your children must be so primal and yeah. so powerful. But th- yeah, they were laying it on so thick that it almost didn't feel honest. Yeah. I also want to say, though, in a kind of related note. Christine is always crying at like the drop of a hat. And I thought it was really powerful choice that in this scene, she kept it together while she was telling Hattie. She did not cry until the call was done. And that felt like a very mom thing to do. I thought if a mom had to break bad news, but was worried about freaking her kids out, she's going to keep it together.
2: Yeah, it is crazy. One of you guys may remember this. I had such a needle phobia when we did the blood drive in high school, like oh, senior yeah. year. I like passed out in the middle of the gym, like everybody. You know, was a really great part of my high school experience. Oh. And so I was really freaked out. That was one of the things that scared me about having kids, because sometimes you have to take them to get shots. You have to be brave while you get a shot in front of them. Like you know, if you were getting a shot and you pass out, like that's going to be traumatic for them. That's a good point. And it is crazy because since I have had my kids. Like I have not had, I mean, I had issues with it my whole life. And since I've had my kids, it's really kind of just gone away because I just sort of had, like, it just, I don't know if it's like, there's probably some kind of chemical, like adrenaline explanation for it or something, but.
0: That just like overwrites that.
2: Yeah. And and so I think that really is the
1: thing. Wow. That is a really good point. Yeah. I imagine that that protective instinct could override many, many things and a beautiful comments you both made i didn't even think about the fact that she doesn't cry and she always cries that's a yeah. that is really good and that's a good
0: comparison melissa i also noted that hattie got off the video call the way that your mom i does.
1: noticed that too <laughs> Meryl, my impression of my shutting, mom on zoom is she goes like okay bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> she, and it always made me laugh and so i noticed oh. that too that hattie did that uh Well, um, I was really, really glad that Hattie called Adam and had a real conversation with him, because that is the conversation that weirdly would have made me feel better. Just knowing the information, even if it sucks, like, what am I dealing with? I need to actually
3: know.
0: Yeah, I remember this as one of my favorite Adam scenes from the whole series.
3: I'm really far away from home. I don't know what's going on. Like, You didn't tell me any information. Hello? Can you treat me like an adult?
4: Okay. Your mother's tumor is 1.6 centimeters, okay? So they're gonna be able to do a lumpectomy. They're gonna be able to get the tumor out without having to do a mastectomy, so that's good. And, And while they're doing the lumpectomy, they're gonna do a biopsy of two lymph nodes because that's how cancer usually spreads. So they're gonna be able to tell whether your mother needs any further treatment, chemotherapy or radiation, anything like that. Okay?
3: So she might need chemo?
4: I'm not saying that, she's gonna be all right. But that's the truth, that's as much as I know. That's where we're at. And I promise you, I will keep you up to date. I don't want you in the dark.
3: Okay. How are you?
4: (laughs) You know, I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. Yep. It's scary, but I'm okay. Yep. So, you gotta know that your mother is so strong and she's so positive and she is doing everything she can to get healthy. And the best thing that you can do for your mom right now, Hattie, is just you just focus on school and you do well, and you make her proud, okay? Can you do that for me? Yeah. Okay, good. Listen, I gotta get back to work here, but I love you, okay?
3: Mm-hmm,
1: love you too.
4: Bye. Ugh.
1: The way that he sort of laughed when she was like, how are you? Reminds me of how Merrill sort of laughed. <laughs> when I said, um, does it ever get to you? And so like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but like a similar thing where someone yeah. asks a question where the answer is like, hmm, and not good. You know, like, it's like, you know, it's just so human, uh, a moment like that. So I thought that was an interesting sort yeah. of parallel.
0: How sweet of her to ask him. Yeah. I would think in that moment as her father, you must just be like, wow. We have a good kid. She's a good person. I love her.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Peter Krause was amazing in that scene. That was some heavy duty acting.
0: Listening to it right now, too, it reminds me so much of my own dad. When she asks him, how are you doing? He goes, I'm okay. My dad gets this sort of tone of voice and this sort of cadence of speech when he's being deliberately reassuring. And... I don't know, maybe that's a really dad thing to to just say, we're going to be okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And even though I know, now when I hear him do that, I know what he's doing. It doesn't lessen its effect on me. I, I don't think, oh, this is insincere. Instead, I think, oh, dad is in reassuring mode. And and that's okay. So, so he's on it. He's taking care of it. They are both so good in this scene. And I thought we rag a lot on Adam (laughs) on the podcast. (laughs) Although I feel like we're pretty good about contextualizing our criticisms. I think so. But I I do think it bears repeating that I I think he's a good man, a good husband, and a good father.
1: This is a really good episode for Adam, too. Like, this showcased all that.
0: And something I find so cool about a show like this is that you get to see the characters, especially the kids, literally grow up. You know, watching Hattie and how she related to Adam in this scene made me think back to the episode in season one. I think it's was up (laughs) when he's being all crazy about her dating Steve or when he was patching her up after that soccer game, after he found out that she was having sex. That just feels like a completely different Hattie. But we have seen the progression from that to her here asking to be treated like an adult and he does it. Yeah. And I, that to me is just so moving to see that passage of time and see, yeah, she can handle this now. And there was a time when he doubted whether she could handle adult things. But now she speaks up for herself and he respects her enough to tell her.
1: That's probably going to get marked in both of their minds as a really significant moment in their relationship. The first time she said, Can you treat me like an adult? And mm-hmm. then he does. Yeah, that's really meaningful.
2: I think I've had some conversations like that with my dad. Like as I got you know, 16, 17, 18. And we would go, um, cause he lives in California. And so I would go out there and we'd travel always. Cause you know, there's lots of cool stuff to see there. And so we'd have these road trips where it's just the two of us and had like all these like amazing conversations. And it was like stuff that happened during my parents' divorce, which my parents got divorced when I was like two. wow, So like, I never remembered any of it and like, didn't really know. I mean, that's like a really significant portion of my own history, right. That I didn't know anything about really. And having him and, you know, it was his perspective, but I feel like he was trying to give a fair perspective and not just totally like dog on my mom or anything like that, you know, cause they yeah. had, it was, it was 20 years down the road, the pain had lessened and all of that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I remember like him letting me ask questions and answering them really honestly. And like, yeah, I mean, you're right, Melissa, that's a really significant memory of my relationship with my dad. And for that reason, because it was like, I'm not a little kid anymore you're, you're telling me the truth like a grown-up. And it's helped me kind of understand some things that I wouldn't have understood, you know, at four or five or right. 10 or... But um, about my own history that felt really important. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only way I can really relate to that is that my dad only knew me as a kid, really. Mm-hmm. And my mom knows this adult me that my dad never knew. And I think that's interesting. Sometimes I think about wow. that. Yeah. yeah. Like... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, it it doesn't even make me so sad anymore because it's like been a fact of my life for so long. So I can talk about it without, you know, like (laughs) getting too emotional or anything. But it is just fascinating to me. Like I just froze in time for my dad and I was allowed to grow up for my mom. So, but yeah, my mom and I have definitely had moments like that where I think she really fully saw who I was. Cause you know, I've kind of alluded to this before, but I think she had ideas of what she wanted her daughter to be in it. They didn't always (laughs) line up with who I uh, am. And then I feel like we really turned a corner when I think she was like, okay, this is who she is. And she's pretty great. Just not the pretty great thing I'd imagined, (laughs) but, but yeah. Well,
0: and this is a separate issue, but I feel like related I feel like probably most kids have that feeling of growing up and reaching certain ages and thinking back to where your parents were mm. at that same age yeah. in their life. And at least for me, it's always leading me to a more forgiving perspective on whatever they were doing and whatever mm. choices they made. Like, you know, like if I were my father at this age now, 35, he would have three children the youngest of whom was 5 and he would have a phd and be teaching at a university you know wow i don't have to deal with any of that <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone's just doing the best they can yeah and uh, it leads you to be more understanding i think yeah and it demystifies parents a little bit that you realize they were just people yeah then mm-hmm. too they're not the perfect symbols
1: I'm loving that we're starting to transition into that with some of these relationships because, you know, the show is called Parenthood and it's about Zeke and Camille and their adult children, but I think it's more than that about the adult children and their kids. And for the most part, up until this point, it's been mostly how do you deal with little kids and teenagers? And now we are moving into Hattie being an adult and also Amber being an adult. And what does that do to those parent-child dynamics and... I think that's fascinating. That's part of being a parent as well. Yeah. Well, and this makes me think of the difference between Hattie getting this news versus Max and then versus Nora, the baby. I mean, Nora's at home, but none of this is registering with an infant or a one-year-old. And then to some degree, I wonder to what extent it is registering with Max. I mean... It seemed like it maybe wasn't when they broke the news to him, but I did like we got that scene with him and Amber where it was clear he was processing it.
3: Are you a grown-up?
0: Why do you ask? Well, my parents said I
3: need to be more grown-up. So are you a grown-up? Well, I guess so, yeah.
5: You don't dress like a grown-up.
0: No, I guess you're right, I don't. And you're shorter than a lot of grown-ups.
3: That's so true.
0: So, what makes you a grown-up?
2: <sighs> well, uh, let's see. I have, um, I have a job, and um, I have a car,
0: and I have to pay bills and just kind of do stuff on my own, I guess.
3: You're not married.
2: No, I'm not.
5: All of the adults I know are married. So, when are
0: you getting married?
2: Well, I guess I'd have to meet the right person first.
0: My mom's got cancer.
1: Do you wanna talk about it? No. I really liked that, but yeah, how different is it, his experience living with a mother who's going through Cancer versus Hattie, who is living away. And yeah, I guess that starts when you're a kid, and then it still happens when you're older. And one of the kids lives in the same town, and one of the kids doesn't, unless you're the Bravermans and they all live in the same town, (laughs)
0: like together all the time. Hattie's the real trailblazer. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's true. It's a super deep question. Like, what makes you an adult? What, I mean, like, oh man. I I still don't know exactly.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that he heard that from his parents and now he's revealing that he's really thought about it, Yeah, you know, because he, he has a list of, well, here's what the adults I know, here's the traits I notice yeah. among them. They dress a certain way. They're tall. <laughs> they have jobs. <laughs> They're married. They're all married. <laughs> and I thought it was a really fascinating way to show us how a character is processing this news who is not demonstrative about his inner life. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have one.
1: Yeah. I loved everything Amber said because, you know, I think a lot of people, her age, was she 20? I think a lot of people would just be like, well, I'm, I'm over 18. So I'm an adult, you know, like Mm -hmm. might've gotten technical. And I like that. She's like, what are the actual adult things about me? (laughs) You know, And I I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And when he said, you're not married, I I like that. She wasn't like, I'm 20, like chill out with that. You know, she was like, well, I guess I'd have to meet the right person. You know, like she just gave him so much um, dignity and respect in answering him. I loved that.
0: They're really good together. I mean, you know, one of my biggest regrets of the series is that after she worked with him on that apology, she didn't go on to have a career working with kids on the spectrum because I thought she was so good. But I think her answers are also indicative of she knows how to interact with Max. Yeah. I think she knows that he asks you a question, answer it as straightforwardly as you can, because mm-hmm. that's what he wants from you. I have a question for you guys. Do you think... Earlier in the episode, when Amber goes over and sees Christina, do you think Christina told her then what was going on? We didn't see her Hmm. say, well, I have breast cancer. Or do you think this was the first time that Amber was hearing exactly what it was? That's
1: a good question. Because
0: I thought if this was the first time she heard it, she really covered it well.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if this is how she found out. Because when Adam said Christina is sick in the last episode it's obvious. It's not, she has a cold. And so I'm going to need more right, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so she, she knew sick meant something serious. And so even if she didn't know exactly what it was, I'm guessing cancer wasn't a big surprise. So, but yeah, you're right. Like if that was how she found out exactly what it was, she did handle that very well. And I'm super impressed.
0: Yeah. It was nice to then at the end when Christina had Amber take the little kids away Mm -hmm. for the announcement. Mm -hmm. I liked knowing that Amber already knew. Yeah. So that she wasn't being excluded from that family moment. But rather it was, we've already confided in you. So now you can help us. In a way, she's
1: stepping up the way Hattie might have if Hattie hadn't gone away to school. And I think that's interesting for like a a niece to sort of take up that slack a little bit. That's an interesting thing Mm -hmm. that I never really thought about till just now.
0: Yeah. I thought that last scene with Hattie arriving and just the reaction shots was awfully powerful. And, you know, they kind of already used this device in the second episode of the season, Left Field, where you knew what Christina was about to say. And so they didn't even let you hear it. When she told
1: Adam, yeah, yeah.
0: But here, I, I, it didn't feel repetitive or overused. It was really powerful. I loved it. I thought, and just seeing everyone's various reactions, especially seeing when Sarah came up and gave her the hug and seeing the moment of connection between Sarah and Adam, I thought was a, a really nice touch.
1: Yeah. I, one of my favorite little moments, and I only noticed it the second time, was when they were doing all the close-ups on their faces Joel and not Julia because Julia was quitting her job. Like she yeah. had left the game to go deal with that. And I thought, man, there's another way her job took her away from a big family thing. Of course, she didn't know that after this random baseball game, we're all going to go to dinner and I'm going to learn my sister-in-law has cancer, but she missed that. And I thought that was another little extra thing in an episode about everything she's missing being away. Uh, I thought that was interesting.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought it was a terrific episode. I don't know if it's
5: tied for, tied second, for best. second of the best <laughs> ever.
1: How could
0: you say? And, you know, we there's two and a half seasons still to watch. Yeah. But it, I thought it was terrific. It felt like a very big episode. Yeah. And and I thought, was a little surprised because it, it feels pretty early in the season to have an episode like this. It feels like we usually get these big episodes towards the end. Yeah. But... It also felt like this set a lot of new things in motion. You know, now everyone knows about Christina's cancer. Ryan seems officially folded in. In some way, you know, that it seems like, oh, this isn't going to just be one storyline in one episode, is it? Yeah. And Sarah feels like she's definitely (laughs) heading into a love triangle. Victor feels more cemented into the family than ever before. And then, like we said earlier, Julia's... Role within the show is Mm going to be drastically different. Yeah, she
1: was always defined by her job. It'll be interesting to see
0: what happens. What the practical
1: thing that happens is. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What now? Oh,
0: and one thing I was going to say earlier, but I'm reminded of it now saying everyone knows about Christina's cancer now. It was an aspect of uh, that scene, that phone call between Adam and Hattie. I felt like you could see on Peter Krause's face that as long as this news was a secret, they maybe had like plausible deniability, mm. like in a way they could pretend, well, this isn't really happening. Right. Cause it's a horrible thing. No one wants it to happen. Once you tell the whole family, it's sort of admitting to yourself too, that it's real. And I feel like in that phone call, you saw as he was telling Hattie, yeah. you could see him hearing it and realizing, yep, I can't put this genie back in the bottle. Right. Does this has really happened. Sort of like Gwen said, last episode or maybe two episodes ago, the bad thing has already happened. Yeah. I feel like you saw Adam admit that. Yeah, And then, yeah. And then once everyone knows, no going back. Yeah. I loved it.
1: I loved it too. And um, I just went back through my notes to see if there was anything I had written down that I didn't say. And I'll just end on this really important note which is that <laughs> Crosby says cheddar to describe money twice that was weird twice. <laughs> <laughs> that was so stupid I shouldn't know like we, uh, we were ending on this very serious I noticed it note too, but though. I was like why is he like you know it's a lot of cheddar <laughs>
0: it's just so stupid he so, says it to Jasmine and to Adam yeah
1: he's like is this cheddar catching on and is everyone going to be saying it now
0: anyway <laughs>
2: I like that. I like
1: that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Meryl, if that's all you take away from this episode, that would be something, you know? <laughs> but, yes. no, but seriously, yes. what did you think of being dropped into this world? And you don't have to say you like it just because we're doing a podcast over it and like it. You know, if you're like, too heavy for me, man, I don't think that's my TV, you know? But seriously, what did you think?
2: Um. Well, it's, yeah, it's probably not my TV. I yeah. mean, I'll be straight up honest about that. I am like so escapist and I don't watch a lot of TV to start with. And so, what I do watch tends to be really escapist and less real life. Yeah, um, because I have a lot of real life. um, (laughs) But it was interesting. It's interesting to sit and like kind of break it down with you guys and talk about the characters and all of their motivations and to learn a little bit more about it that way. So it was fun to watch. Well, good. I'm glad it was fun, and it was
1: definitely fun to talk to you. Um, I love. I love.
0: I now have maybe ridiculous question, but let's go there. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) As a lawyer.
3: Yes, I am a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> are there any legal shows that you either really enjoy or that you feel like are a pretty accurate depiction of the world they're trying to portray or
1: any that you hate like that's so stupid like
0: oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh
2: so the only legal show that i've ever been able to watch and it was canceled after like a season and a half and it got a little weird toward the end honestly but was raising the bar I don't even remember that one. What was that one? It was, it was, it was about a public defender's office Ah. in New York. Um, And it was about the time that Knox was born. So about 10 or 11 years ago. And like I said, they just, they did very, very little, but there were some moments in that, that were really, really true to what I was living at the time. But that being said, yeah, I don't, I, so I like, I actually, the one show that I've really, really stuck with over the years is Grey's Anatomy. And I think it's because the medical drama is just so like, like, you know, I, I've, a friend who is a doctor and she's like yeah that i can't even watch that and i'm like (laughs) i get that for you but for me like i don't know enough to question it so it's like just fun fun. you know Yeah. yeah so yeah
0: well i did a quick google just for anyone curious raising the bar aired on tnt from 2008 to 2009 for 25 episodes it was created by Stephen Bochco. It starred Mark Paul Gosler. Oh,
1: yeah. I remember that now that you, now that you say Mark Paul Gosler, I remember. <laughs> well, Meryl, thank you again. This was just a damn delight. Yes. <laughs> yes it was
0: fun. Yeah. good to talk to you guys. And listeners, if you maybe want to see some of Meryl's photography, oh yeah, why don't you just buy a collection of Melissa's poetry? <laughs> and you'll, you'll see Meryl's photo <laughs> I love on that. the cover of green. Melissa's author yes. photo is... That's picture awesome. that Meryl took. Yeah. You can find it at Melissa's website or no, at riotinyourthroat.com. That's
1: true. Yes, My first yeah. book has like sections and uh, each section has a, has a photo, a photograph and they're yes. all Meryl. So maybe
0: you buy both.
1: <laughs> uh, they're Yeah. She's so talented. I'm always like, how is it that this isn't even your main job? Like you're so good at it.
2: <laughs> it's just wonderful. Aww. Are
0: we allowed to say that, It's your daughter on the cover, or would you prefer people not know that?
2: Oh, I don't care if people
1: know that. I don't care if people know that. It's funny. Some people have asked if that's me, like as a kid. And, oh. um, I don't even think it necessarily looks that much like me. I think it's just that makes sense in people's heads that it would be. Mm. But I'm like, that's a much better photograph than I think someone would have taken in the 1980s. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. no, it's that's not a me. Better. That is Meryl's <laughs> daughter. So, And I felt a little creepy asking you if I could have that one. But luckily <laughs> you said yes, because I think it's the perfect cover. I love it it's so much. It's such
0: a beautiful oh. picture. Sure. yeah
1: it's amazing so and she's
0: beautiful <laughs> oh
1: yeah she's thank obvious. you yeah. thank yeah. you uh All right. Well, listeners, thank you. So earlier in the episode, I called you guests. That was weird. Um, listeners, (laughs) thank you for listening. Uh, that was redundant. Um, but anyway, you are welcome to check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parenthood Pals everywhere.
0: And visit us at our website, (laughs) parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come
1: true.